or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Beautiful day. Hope you're having a great day so far. Let's start off with a couple quotes just to get us uh, thinking positively. Creativity is intelligence having fun. Albert Einstein. What you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. And optimism is the one quality more associated with success and happiness than any other. There we go, folks. You know, we always talk about our webpage at the beginning of the show, and uh, we'll talk about it again. <laughs> what the heck? Uh, so, uh, you know, if you go to WHK1420, go over to local podcast down to, uh, you know, Street Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes, it goes directly to my webpage. So kind of a nice, easy way to get there. Uh, and uh, by the way, there's some real good stuff on Insights today. Uh, we're talking about an auto U-turn. And believe me, I think there's one area of the auto world that you have to own. Uh, now, fortunately for me, Marshfield owns a lot of it, so I don't have to worry too much about it. But there is one area that I think you have to be involved. Also, there's for the ladies out there. Ladies, there's a lot of good articles about women on on the uh, on my web page, and all you have to do is you go to my web page, uh, you click on it, and it goes to insights. And there's several articles down there, uh, and there's probably three or four about uh, for you uh, ladies out there, um, and, and they're good ones. I think they're really high quality, uh, good stuff. Uh, also on the front page is the bulletin board, and Bob Dickey's on there. We have a weekly newsletter. Uh, we have some things about interest rates. We have been saying for three, four years, well, I think five, six years now, uh, that interest rates would be lower for longer. We've been dead right, and I think that'll continue. That's Tom Porcelli, our head uh, economist, who's really good at what he does, by the way. You can also call in, by the way. We have our dividend growth portfolio. We're going to talk about dividends on this show again today. We've been talking about it for 15 years. Might as well continue. <laughs> but, you know, beat the horse. Uh, then the prime income list, which are dynamite uh, ways of – um, look, dividends are important, no matter what anybody says. So, uh, you know, remember that. Also, we have our, our wealth plan. If you become a client of mine, we have a wealth plan that's interactive. It's a great thing to use, uh, you know, because then, you know, if, if the world's making you crazy, you type in and, and I get a hold of it. So I'm, I know what you're thinking, okay? Um, also, the family inventory workbook. Uh, I think the last three or four months shows that you should have your financial house in order. No arguments, okay? Uh, also, we have the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook. Uh, interest rates are as low as they're going to get, folks. So, uh, you know, you, you might as well try to take advantage of the scenario as best you possibly can. And also, for you guys that own businesses, there's a lot of you out there. I talk to you pretty regularly. You know, if you're going to transition and sell your business, I'll tell you two things. First of all, private equity is trying to get your business cheap. All right, and they'll show you all the numbers and all that good stuff. And we'll show you, I'll show you people, I'll have you talk to people uh, that will sell your business probably for more than what your, you know, uh, the private equity people will go. But we also have how do you transition? You know, 
if you're giving your your business to your son, if you're, you know, do you have insurance contracts, et cetera? Okay, so that's good stuff. So you just go to WHK fourteen twenty, and there you go. All right. So the FBI's numbers released June thirtieth, twenty twenty, show that three point nine million background checks were conducted last month, the most since the system was created in nineteen ninety eight, to ensure felons and other prohibited people could not buy or possess a firearm. Uh, the previous monthly record came in March when 3.7 million checks were done, which means a whole lot of guns are being bought because people are frightened of what's going on. I mean, they're talking about defunding the police. Uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to see the, you know, uh, a couple, a young couple who is uh, against this uh, sitting <laughs> in their house while somebody's breaking in, okay, and see what happens. But, uh, you know, the point is, is that they're trying to defund the police, which I think is the most ludicrous idea. Yes, there's a couple bad policemen out there. There's a couple of bad lawyers, there's a couple of bad accountants, there's a couple of bad stockbrokers, there's a couple of bad politicians. The majority of them are good. Thanks to a flood of new stock issuances and a resilient IPO market, companies raised nearly $190 billion from the end of March through the end of June. Now, a lot of these are in SPACs, and the problem is you don't know what they're buying in the SPAC, you know, so if it's a really good company, it's going to fly. But uh, uh, So that's the most ever in a single quarter for the U.S. equity markets, by the way. Uh, that's according to Deal Logic. And then also there, there's been a record 53.6 million metric tons of e-waste, discarded products with battery or plugs such as computers and mobile phones, uh, is reported, uh, generated worldwide 2019. So, uh, you know, there is pollution to these, you know, uh, uh, stuff that we've been uh, dealing with. Okay, so, um, you know, let, let's talk about Lori Calcivina first. Uh, Lori is our, our head strategist and uh, – you know, I, I think she had some good points this week, and I, I just I just want to talk about it if I get my machine to work here. Um, she's still expecting some choppy conditions in the second half of 2020, uh, mostly because, you know, you've got an election going, uh, tech, uh, it, you know, and the big growth stocks are, are, are valued at perfection, I think. But uh, so, you know, there's some interesting things going on. Now, she is lifting – her year-end target for the S&P 500 to 2,900 from 2,750. Um, and that's because um, earnings are better than expected, okay? And she said that the C-suite confidence uh, remains low, and it's deteriorating versus trends uh, uh, could keep it that, that way for a while, and I, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, investor sentiment also remains weak, which is really unusual. This week, uh, in, in Rob Schleimer's work, you know, the, the the Chicago or the Citigroup economic surprise numbers went straight up through the roof, but people are, the American Association of Individual Investors still went down, which is interesting. So evaluations are probably one of the biggest problems for the U.S. equity market right now is what her main problem is, I think. At short term, she thinks alternative economic indicators are kind of stumbling a little bit. They're challenging the V-shaped recovery that Tom Lee at uh, – uh, Fundstrat is talking about, and the Fed's balance sheet expansion is also paused. So uh, that's what she's, you know, fairly worried about anyway. Now, uh, I, I wanted to talk about uh, dividends. You know, people think dividends are boring, and uh, I, I talked to some young people this week, and uh, there's nothing wrong with being a young person. I was one time, too. Uh, and they have great minds, and they and they think you know, wonderful thoughts, and they do a lot of good stuff, okay? Um, but what you've got to remember, 
dividend investing is all is often associated with older investors who seek, you know, like a more conservative equity exposure and are in need of cash flow generated from dividends to help fund retirement. Now, while that is definitely true, we we believe, and I believe definitely, because I've said I've been saying this for 15 years, dividend investing is appropriate for all investors, and that investing for a total return is a great way for younger investors to create wealth over a long period of time. And since time is on their side, it, it helps, okay? Over the long term, dividends have played a significant role in the returns investors have received. Over the past 50 years, 72% of the total return of the S&P 500 can be attributed to reinvestment of dividends and the power of compounding. Now, this is a live show, folks, and I got to tell, I got to say that if you've got a question, the number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216. 216- 9010945. Now, look, dividend paying stocks are not guaranteed to outperform. Uh, non dividend paying stocks, sometimes uh, they do and sometimes they don't. Okay. However, as if, if you look at a couple of charts, if you look at the SP 500 price return, uh, if you were to put a dollar in, in 1970, you'd have about $3,500. If you would have bought a total return package, you'd have $12,245, all right? So the other thing is, if you look from the dip, from the time frame of 2001 to 2010, remember, you know, everybody's talking about the S&P 500 funds and how great they were. Well, you got killed in them back then. You had a negative return. You had a negative 4% return for 10 years. Not too many people will stick around for that. Dividends accounted for 131% of the return during that period of time. So, it, it's, you know, you got to think about uh, that a little bit, all right? And, and by the way, the highest yield doesn't necessarily provide the best returns. You know, sometimes, you know, look, I think the important thing you got to look for is dividend payout ratios. So we found not the first quintile, but it's the second quintile uh, that usually outperforms. And, and usually, by the way, uh, they are the second quintile is, is payout ratio is about 77.8%. So uh, it, it's an interesting thought process. And, and I, I think, you know, if you look at dividend paying stocks have outperformed since J- January of 1970 through, two, through 2019, uh, their top performing asset class over that period of time. So um, look, uh, the important part, is that growing dividends, and this is, this is why I really like dividend growth portfolios, it's growing cash flow. So look, if you're a young person, you're 20 or 30 or 40, and you start reinvesting dividends, and your d- dividend growth is, let's say, 7, 7.2%, if you start out with a dollar, okay, right now, and you're 40, by the time you're 60, you're looking at $4 in dividends. Now, if you bought more stock, so you, let, you, you had the compounding effect. By the time you retire, you'd have a good income, good solid income, and I'll just leave it at that. All right, so let's go to a couple other things. Uh, you know, look, a, a, a lot of people are questioning um, uh, a few things, and, and I thought we'd look at, at some of the areas where I think that it is important in the healthcare area. And look, I, we're in a new normal. We're in a new. There's new opportunities, obviously. And I think there's several things in the healthcare area. Uh, there's rising testing. 
So in the testing area, there are several companies. There's some small companies and some large companies. I own one of the small companies. I own one of the large companies. Actually, own two of them. Uh, that look, you, you got a health problem that requires a health solution, and pharmaceutical, uh, pharmaceutical, I'm sorry, and and biotechnology companies are focused on the fight against COVID-19. All right. Now, uh, so far, nothing's come go. I mean, SARS. Uh, you know, our friends at, uh, um, was it uh, Repligen? Uh, no, not Repligen, uh, Regeneron, sorry, uh, had a, a success right away. So I think if you look ahead, the diagnostics and the development of a COVID-19 vaccine is probably the most important. Uh, drug delivery companies will only fine-tune their internal process to maximize their R&D here. I guarantee it. Um, and there's several companies that I think are very important, um, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Now, the other thing is, you know, biotechnology, you know, if we look at the halftime report, uh, I think, you know, the first half of 2020 was, in a word, surreal, all right? Uh, few could have imagined uh, we might, you know, find ourselves in the midst of a global pandemic that would completely upend the economy and the society and impact nearly every aspect of our life. Simple. In fact, when we penned our forward-looking 2021 preview in early January, the, deni- the dynamics that will shape the sector in the ne- into the next year could hardly be more different. All right, so uh, there you go. So after a record run, where does biotech go from here? I think in, in, the, uh, in a COVID-19 world, I should add, major biotech indices are at all-time high, and they're far exceeding the flat-to-down broader market, and, and pharma, as biotech continues to perceive a, a relative you know, they're a beneficiary of the pandemic, let's just say. So what we think now is that looking forward, what we're going to have to see, it, the momentum may wane a bit, but there are some signals, you know, they could cool off for a while. But I think what's important is is that we have new drugs. So uh, if you – and it doesn't have to be COVID. It can be for – I mean, you know, one of the things that's becoming very prevalent now is that people staying at home – a lot of bipolar people are coming out of the woodwork, okay? So people that have bipolar, people who have cancer, uh, pill form cancer treatments, who wants to go to the hospital right now, okay? The hospital's full, all right? So if you can take a pill form for your uh, melanoma or whatever it may be, your blood disease, you know, that's, that's a lot of companies are working on that. I think that's going to be big. I also think there's going to be some big names for other diseases that, you know, aren't being treated right now. Those are the areas uh, that'll be big in Tim's opinion. Now, I do think there's going to be some political noise. You know, uh, President Trump is going to talk about pharmaceutical pricing coming up here. I don't know if the Democratic Congress will help him at all, but we'll find out. Uh, but I think, um, you know, you could see a pickup after the election. Um, I don't know what, you know, uh, Biden wasn't a big fan of Obamacare, but, uh, you know, what we see, but uh, depending on who gets elected, um, you know, look, there's some definitely, you're starting to see, you know, like in the green area, uh, there people are starting to think Biden may win. So be careful out there on that one. Okay. So uh, anyway, um, hey, somebody asked me, what are investors reading? And so what we did was we, we talked to institutional investors and the first half, uh, Jonathan Atkin uh, wrote a, a book called Cloud Product Pricing and Performance Update. That's one I'm sure you, it just hops off the shelf. And then the U.S. Mobility Tracker, Driving Up Flights, Flights Flat, Ships Surge. 
Uh, also, that's by Michael Tran, by the way, who happens to work here. Uh, natural gas strategy, rest and recovery. Oil strategy, Michael Tran again. And gold strategy, shifting probabilities. So that's what our clients are reading, our institutional clients are reading, and I think it's a uh, you know, it's important that you know that. So, but somebody asked me about commodities, and uh, um, that was Dave. Uh, Dave called the other day and asked about commodities. And look, I'm going to get into that on a technical basis in the next part of the show. So I, I just think you've got to be uh, paying attention here. Look, ge- geopolitics, oil, natural gas, gold, uh, they're all holding gold. Oil is starting to look pretty good, and and, uh, I'm going to talk about that in the second half of the show, too. Oil stocks are starting to look good, so that's something to to pay attention to. And I also think you got to take a look at precious metals because there's there's an impact of a potential tax, U.S. tax revision coming up uh, in the November elections. You know, the Democratic candidates, uh, Joe Biden, has outlined a proposal to increase U.S. corporate taxes to 28%. That might hit the gold and silver company. So you got to be uh, paying very close attention to all that coming up. Uh, you know, it, it's something that I think you you really want to, uh, you know, the, the tax provisions with the big, big uh, technology stocks could be a major, major problem. Um, and, you know, we'll see. You know, the Republican Party has cut taxes pretty de- down pretty far. So it would be interesting to see uh, if the Democrats get in what, you know, what the final outcome of this is going to be. But you got to – you got to know that uh, it could hit gold mining companies pretty hard. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, it could hit a lot of companies really, really hard. Uh, gold mining companies might just be part of that. So, I think it's uh, a scenario where you you uh, you want to be paying attention to uh, this stuff, you know, and then making sure that you're uh, uh, getting ready for the election. Okay, uh, I've already started to pick out. Uh, both Republican-leaning and Democratic-leaning ideas. Um, and I think that's important, you know, because, you know, look, uh, Mr. Biden has hired uh, Bernie Sanders environmental people. You don't think they're going to the left? <laughs> think again, folks. Think again. Uh, so I, I, I think you got to pay attention here. Anyway, let's take a break. This is the Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. Is made out of mud. Poor man's made out of muscle and blood, muscle and blood and skin and bones, a mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You look. Okay, we're back. Uh, you just tuned in. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Once again, we're live show. So uh, if you're not out golfing, <laughs> which I, I would be if I uh, wasn't doing the show. The number here is 216-901-0945. That's uh, 216-901-0945. So, uh, look, I'm going to talk about a couple things that uh, I've seen, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks. And uh, first of all, I looked at the QQQs. And, um, you know, the two things that bug me about it is, uh, number one, they've been leading the market down and they've been doing on heavy volume. I also noticed that the relative strength has weakened, and um, if you look at a nine-day or a 20-day, whatever. What's really interesting is the moving average convergence-divergence, the MACD line. If you don't know what that is, you shouldn't be running your own money as far as I'm concerned. Uh, The bar turned negative this week, so I don't think it's over. I mean, I guess the question is, you know, where does it go from here? And uh, 
you know, the 50-day moving average is down about 20 points. The 200-day moving average is uh, uh, down around, well, it's way down. It's down about uh, 60 or 70 points. So the, the question is, uh, are we going to be um, seeing more of that, um, you know, the, the big techs retreat here, okay? So uh, I'm not sure. Um, I, I think that's a possibility. But, I mean, if you look, the QQQs, which is where all the big tech is, um, you know, it, it's it's at it's forty week moving averages down about thirty five bucks from here. So that'd be about eleven twelve percent correction. Uh, but now I, I also looked at uh, a couple other things. You know, at the do- back, uh, if you look at the PPO, which we don't know what that is, you got to look it up, I guess. Uh, you know, back in two thousand, it was up to forty, and and uh, I believe we we got to twenty one. And we're now at fifteen seventy nine. So I don't think it's the end of the world or anything like that. But um, if you do look at the uh, the ROC, which is another technical uh, indicator that we don't have time to really discuss, it did get to fifty sixty. And I think back in, in the nineteen ninety bubble, it was at sixty three or something like that. So uh, there's some things going on out there that uh, are starting to uh, you know you got to be be careful. I think with some of this stuff um, now. I think the biggest thing, okay, it does sound like we have Richard online. Richard, you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm glad that you were mentioning uh, the uh, possibility that uh, uh, the stock market will be affected by all the horrible policies that Biden would put in if he's elected. Um, first of all, he's made deals with socialist Bernie Sanders and everything. And uh, I wrote something uh, after Obama's administration when, stag- when uh, economic growth stagnated and all of these uh, hundreds of uh, regulations were put on the society and business. And we can't go through that again without uh, destroying economic growth, which the stock market needs to succeed. Um, I probably agree with you. I, I think you know the problem is is the the uh, I think that Mr. Trump has done a pretty good job, but I think the pandemic has been a fiasco, and it's not his fault. It's I think it's been no, uh, no, oh, no. It wasn't his fault. He destroyed the best, the best economy in my uh, lifetime. Yeah, well, uh, uh, and I and if China didn't create it, which personally I suspect they did in their lab, they are very negligent for trying to conceal it for a long time. Well, and China is basically an evil country. And uh, Biden went out recently and and criticized uh, Trump for being hard on China. Well, that's because um, they invested a a billion dollars in his son's hedge fund after he took him to China one time. Uh, I'm I'm well aware of all that. And then he also called Trump a, a racist. Well, uh, he himself in his history has had many racist remarks. That'll so, be interesting. Uh, you know. It'll be interesting. Yeah, but uh, uh, there, 
you got to get ready for it. So, uh, you know, I don't know who's going to win, but uh, you got to get ready for it. So that's all I'll say. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for bringing up the subject. Okay. Anyway, the other thing I noticed is uh, basic materials. I noticed that copper broke its downtrend line dating back to 2011. And what's interesting is the dollar broke its uptrend line dating back to 2011. (laughs) The other thing is gold. I said gold would lead the way. And, uh, it's got to break 1923 or 22, I think it is, uh, which would be pretty significant. I think it got real close there Friday. I didn't see the close Friday, so uh, pardon me, but uh, I was uh, trying to go golfing. It didn't work. Um, anyway, the U.S. dollar is in a big triangle pattern uh, dating back to the you know 2000 or even 1990, I guess. We, we'll go back that far. Uh, and, and so... If we were to break down here, I, th- I think that would be significant, and we'd probably see the dollar go back, you know, somewhere near where it was in 2008, 2009. That would be very big for the gold indexes, the commodity indexes, etc. And uh, so now it is fairly oversold here, so there might be a rally first. So you know, don't uh, don't go going hog wild. Uh, you know, I, I just think that you know. Look, the other area I'm seeing is is the energy sector, and um, boy, this is interesting. Okay, now I I told a couple people just recently, uh, and I hope your guys are listening. Uh, Bill, Michael, Pete, uh, Ed, uh, Fast Eddie, as I call them, and uh, Dave, uh, that I was I was kind of worried about the oil index because I saw some things starting to t- turn over, but now it seems to be holding. Uh, so it's making a, a, a like a basing pattern at this uh, you know forty dollar level. So the question is, uh, will it turn up? And and I then I looked at the XLE and it's you know I wasn't so interested a week ago and now I'm, I'm looking at that one again. So we'll see. Uh, but you know I think it's it's uh, it's something that you have to pay you know fairly close attention to and uh, um, you know it, it's something I I think. Uh, would be a pretty big if uh you know we we were to uh well if the dollar breaks believe me the commodities are going up it's as simple as that there's no other way you know i can mesh mesh words all i want but that's what's going to happen so uh you know it, it's one of those things where uh i think you're going to see uh a you know a great deal of movement in the uh in the oil stocks and the gold stocks, et cetera, if the dollar breaks hard. Um, and look, the reason the dollar would break hard is there's lots of them out there. Uh, I mean, you know, we're throwing dollars out the window left and right. So uh, there we go. Anyway, look, I, I think the cycle, the cycle backdrop remains bullish. You know, we have these four-year cycles, so we probably have a couple uh, more idea, you know, month, uh, years of this, but the uptrend's intact. The advanced decline line's intact. It, it, it's not going up. It's going sideways. One thing with the advanced decline line you got to remember, though, there's a lot of bond funds in those, okay? Uh, so you got to be careful with those. But I am seeing some new growth ideas starting, you know, to emerge. And, and growth has been, you know, beating value pretty hard. But I also, you know, highlighted uh, numerous times uh, that there's uh, – a bottoming in some of the cyclical trends. So you got to pay pretty close attention to that. And the VIX is not giving it up totally either. That's the other thing. And the Russell looks like it's it's ready to uh, – it could blast off. So it could be small caps 
All we need is relative performance on the Russell to break out, and it would be big. But I think the big thing is the put-to-call ratio is still at a point where they're buying, they're not buying enough puts, okay? Uh, and the other thing I would suggest is that the Citigroup economic surprise numbers went through the roof, but investors are still negative, which is, you know, fairly interesting. So it, it's, it's stuff that you have to pay pretty close attention to, I think. Uh, like I said, you know, the dollar's weakness is something we talked about for a while. Uh, um, the high beta stocks have been beating the low beta stocks pretty handily lately. Growth has been beating value. Uh, but the, 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 the VIX is not breaking down completely where you think it would be if we we're going to the moon. So uh, the other thing I noticed is the weekly momentum on the S&P 500 looks like it's about to peak. Uh, the, you know, the daily is peaking a little bit, but, uh, uh, you know, it, Pay attention. We'll be right back with the uh, bullish percent. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. Steve Ray Vaughn to get us going. That doesn't get going. Nothing will. Anyway, uh, so this is a Smart Investor Show. And, and once again, I, I want to just say, if, if you want to have a conversation about your portfolio, unfortunately, it's hard to have coffee these days due to technical difficulties uh, beyond all of our control. Uh, but if you'd like to talk about your portfolio, I can be had. Uh, the number is 216-774-8906. It's my direct line. Or you can just go to my webpage, and there's an 800 number there. You can call there, and they'll get you to me. Uh, if, you, if you'd like to go to my webpage, just go to WHK1420, the local podcast down to Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes, uh, goes right to my webpage. So uh, it has all sorts of good stuff. By the way, you can, you can listen to past shows and see if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's just not one show. It's a whole list of shows. And you can say, hey, did the, did the guy know what he's talking about? And, you know, back in February, the first week of February, the last week of January, we start, started talking about, hey, we think there's going to be a 10 15% correction. Just a hair off there, but I mean, as, as long you know, obviously a lot more things happen in that month than I'd ever seen in in my career. Uh, so, it, it, uh, but we were raising cash, and we did have some good calls for our clients, and uh, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, anyway, uh, look, we always talk about the bullish percent, and people ask me, you know, Tim, why do you follow this thing all the time? Because it's been right. The problem lately has been it's made moves that are significantly large in a very short period of time. And then, you know, you get whacked. And, and the problem, look, it, it, the bullish percent is simply a risk monitor of the markets. It's looking at the number of point and figure charts that, go to, that are buy signals or sell signals. When a lot of charts go to sell signals, that's a distribution in the market. And that happens a lot faster than accumulation. That's when you want to be worried, okay? So this goes from zero to 100. And when you get over 70, that's when everybody's talking about the stock market. Uh, you know, people are, you know, opening their 401k statements, you know, as soon as they're delivered, say, oh, look how rich I am, you know, and all that good stuff. And then when you get below 30, that's when, uh, you know, people are crying in their beer. Uh, <laughs> they tend to take long walks at night for no apparent reason, you know, things like that. And um, the other, those, that's when you should be greedy. 
You know, so at over 70, when everybody's talking about things, that's when you should be fearful. When your neighbor comes over and tells you that he's day trading, you should be paranoid, okay? You know, I just had, I just walked around the block the other day with my dog, which I do every morning, and uh, and the guy was telling me he was day trading. And I said, oh, you know, my next door neighbor did that in 2000. Uh, his buddy came over and we had a couple of uh, beers and uh, he was telling me what a day, you know, a day trading guru he was. He went bankrupt exactly a month and a half later. It took him two years to get out of that. Okay. That's when you should be frightened. When nobody's talking about the market, that's when you, you know, I said it. We got to five back in March and I said, don't get scared, get greedy. All right. Now, two other things. When you're calling with Vexus, you have the offensive team on the field. When you're calling with O's, the defensive team. And it doesn't mean you have to sell everything. Okay. It means you got to be paying more attention to your portfolio. Now, Look, we went into a column of X's this week at 60. Uh, however, we moved up 9.7% in a week, which is a lot. So I, I, I move a lot of money around in uh, insurance products, you know, based on the bullish percent. And 60 is a pretty high number, number one. Number two, when you make a move like that, you got to suspect there's going to be a pullback. Okay, so we're still bullish, but I think you have to be, uh, you know, paying attention. But the other problem I have is the over-the-counter index is still in the column of O's, and the world index is still in the column of O's. So it might just be a move in the big, you know, look, if you take 50 stocks out of the S&P 500, it's down 15.5% for the year. It's one of the worst years ever. 50 stocks. So if you're not in those 50 stocks, you've got a problem. And most of those are in the QQQs. All right? Uh, so that's a – look, there's five stocks right now that make up 25% of the S&P 500. And as far as Tim Hayes is concerned, that's a very dangerous situation, very dangerous situation. Uh, and that's for the long term. For the short term, I think you're okay. You know, I, I think what's going to happen is that they're going to, if, if this works, they're going to correct that. And the money's going to move into areas that have not performed, that can perform, okay? Dividend performers, no, notably. But so... All but one of the major uh, bullish percent indicators remained unchanged for the week. So just one went into a column of uh, X's. Small caps, believe it or not, uh, the small cap index turned up, which I think is interesting. Now, fixed income uh, became the number one area to be uh, in dynamic asset level investing that our friends at Dorsey Wright provide us with, by the way. They provide us with the bullish percent, too. Uh, and cash is number two. Domestic equities are still number three. They're only, you know... Uh, two percentage points behind fixed income, but uh, cash lost enough singles over the week for, uh, you know, a fixed income to move ahead. Now, look, the domestic equity asset class is certainly within striking distance of moving back in the top spot or top two spots, which is where you want them. And that would happen with just a couple of uh, buy signals. But what you want to happen is the market to spread out, all right? Unfortunately, the advanced decline line is holding up, but it's holding up because of there's a lot of bond funds in there. Okay, and uh, you know bond funds get treated. You know they're in the SP. I mean they're in the the uh, New York Stock Exchange index. So now we did have a couple of uh, indexes go positive this week as the Dow Jones went, but the EEMs, which I touted last year, sold off and they came back. And it's, by the way, it's up eight percent since I recommended it. Okay. Market's still flat as a pancake, uh, but it's up and up 
positive for 15 weeks, so there's a good chance that it could pull back a little bit. The QQQs are still positive. They're, they've been positive for four weeks. Where most of everything else, the mid-caps really got hit. The small-caps been positive for a week, as we said last week, okay? So uh, there we go. Um, you know, I, I looked at a couple of things, and, and some of the names that had the best advances uh, were the EEMs, the QQQs, and the XLGs this year, uh, the Spider Trust is okay, but it's, you know, I think it's just flat for the year. Uh, if you look at the small cap index, it's down 15%. The Frontier indexes are down like 21 um, The mid cap index is down 10%. So uh, mid cap stocks have not been the place to be. There is some overhead resistance in EEM for you guys that gals that out there that bought it. So, uh, you know, I'll leave it at that. Their fund score, though, you know, in the Dorsey Wright system, one over four, which is very, very important, uh, very positive. Now, we looked at sectors, and sectors, there's only, there's 23 sectors that are favored. We only talk about them because that's where you want your money. Stock in a favored sector will usually outperform all other sectors. So we're going to start with the most overbought, okay? So what where you want to get greedy is when I finish this statement, okay? So housing and semiconductors are at 76. It's a high number. I would definitely wait on those. Electronics, building, and machinery are at 70. Precious metals, autos, and chemicals are at 65. Leisure, healthcare, software, electric utilities, and business products are at 60. You start to look there. Telephone, uh, force and paper products, and internet are at 54. Start to look there, too. Textiles, financials, uh, real estate, computers, and restaurants, or retail, I'm sorry, are at 50. Start to work, uh, play, play those games a little bit. Waste management's at 45, not a bad place, and aerospace is at 40. I noticed they picked up pretty drastically uh, on Thursday and Friday, by the way, the aerospace stocks. So uh, aerospace is where I'd start. Housing and semis is where I'd, you know, I'd be thinking about things, okay? Uh, but, you know, by the way, aerospace did go into both confirmed status this week, which is kind of important. I, I looked at uh, sectors and and. You know, see, the only sector I saw was a force and paper products went to favorite and oil services went to average. You know, they, they had been uh, made a big move. Now, in international uh, equities, uh, look, the global economy, um, there's still a whole lot of it uncertainty. And it's all stemming from COVID, obviously. So uh, people, countries are looking at ways to kickstart their economies. Now, I did see some charts that I haven't seen in a while. The Netherlands broke a, a spread triple top. Uh, now, I'm looking at two or three different types of uh, ETFs now. Uh, I'm not going to mention any names. you got to do your own homework. And Germany uh, broke a double top, and uh, so did uh, Sweden. So some of the larger economies in Europe have started to look better. Now, we did talk about, you know, the, the U.S. fixed income stocks or fixed income did go over stocks and cash. And the best ones are the preferreds and convertibles, which we've been pounding the table for now for about two years. Uh, I have two uh, convertible funds that I'm in, and uh, they're both up for the year. They're up 8 9%, and they got a 2% dividend yield. So there we go. And U.S. corporates are number two. High yield's number three. High yield, there's a lot of people starting to short high yields. It makes me a little bit nervous. Domestic equities, capitalization weighted is more important than equal weight. That hasn't been the case but for three years out of the last 20. So that's really interesting. So this is, you know, emphasizing that large cap growth is outperforming to the point where it might be scary. Uh, mid cap growth is next, then small cap growth and large cap blend. Technology is still the top sector. Consumer cycles after that. Energy after that. 
communication services and healthcare. Now, uh, convertible bonds are still the still the best place in, in uh, you know, uh, I think to be right at the moment. But uh, there are certain people who do convertible bonds better than other people. Uh, as far as you know, gold uh, oil's been positive uh, or negative for a couple of weeks. So is gold. And then as far as uh, the dollar is concerned, is is very close to breaking down hard. So pay attention. It is oversold. Relative strength buy signals. Uh, American equity, Cantel Medical, Hooker Furniture, Infosys Technology, Keytronic, Lending Tree, got a great report on that one, by the way, Applied Optoelectronics, Summit Materials, Evelyn Health, and uh, Polaris is the other one. Uh, remember, relative strength buy signals last a long, long time sometimes. Dan Hur's been on one for 20 years. On the sell side, uh, Diamondback Hospitality, uh, Nano Versitis, which is a pharmaceutical company, Synexus, Key Energy Services, Zymeworks. Uh, there you go. Uh, anyway, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Insiders, so stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show. Uh, the who. Anyway, uh, so this is where we talk about insiders, and uh, one of the reasons we talk about insiders is because they know their companies better than we do. Hard to believe. You know, they're there at the board meetings, et cetera. And uh, what I find interesting is that they're early. They see things, you know, sometimes three, four months ahead of time. Sometimes they see things two weeks ahead of time, and they only have so much time they can buy. And then when you see a lot of buys at once, you should pay very, very close attention. Now, uh, I'm going to say a couple things uh, this week that are fairly bearish. The insider sales to buy ratio is now five to one. That's pretty bearish. Meaning the insiders are selling like crazy. All right, and I got that straight from the 144 report, so I uh, get most of my information. And uh, you know, I, I just think that uh, you got to pay particular attention now. I, I did notice that uh, Larry Fink sold the BlackRock, and he sold $24 million worth of BlackRock, which is a big insider sell. Um, now, I also noticed some insider buys. Emerson Electric, uh, Aperture Technologies, which is a, uh, a fairly big owner, uh, bought a million shares. Uh, and for some reason, uh, it was back on March 11th. So they paid $50 for it. And... Uh, they're just now reporting, and I don't know how they got away with it, but it's a $50 million value. GlaxoSmithKline bought another uh, $6.5 million worth of their stock. They've been buying it fairly regularly, so you like to see companies buy their own stock. But, you know, this is a trust that buys it, so it's a little bit uh, different. Also, we have Wei Wu He, and he's chairman and CEO of uh, – a very small company called Cassie Pharmaceuticals, which got hammered. It was a 230, uh, and it, it gapped down a little bit. On I don't know what the news was. I can't remember, but it was uh, it's at 194 right now. And he bought uh, 2.952 million shares, and he bought 1.2 million shares the next day for a tune of about 5.9 million, uh, which is not chump change, especially for a dollar. I mean, you're, you're talking a couple, three, four million shares. Okay, so. Uh, that, that's quite a bit of money. 
Also, uh, Apollo Endosurgery, uh, which is a little dollar seventy-eight stock. We had the uh, director uh, Ken Magahi, who's by the way, I, I looked this guy up, and he's he's a pretty smart guy. He bought one point seven million uh, shares, uh, one point eight million, we'll call it, uh, at two point two million dollars. Also, uh, the uh, the CEO uh, Carlos Alberini uh, of Guess. You know, the apparel company bought 100,000 shares. That's a million dollars worth. And, uh, you know, so that's the first buy, by the way, I guess, in almost five years. So you like to see when they start to buy. Uh, you've got to pay attention. There's another one, uh, and I this has been showing up on my charts, and I'm not sure why, but uh, Frequency Therapeutics. Um, the uh, uh, director, Joel Marcus, uh, who I, I couldn't find any information on, uh, bought a million dollars worth. And then um, there's one, the Merrimack uh, Pharmaceuticals, which is another $3 stock. So obviously people are paying attention to the smaller biotechs at this point, which I think may lead the way, by the way. Uh, There was two buyers, uh, and they both bought uh, about 177,000 shares. One is Eric Anderson, and the other is Noah Levi. And I I don't know uh, them very well. And then, uh, you know, I've been noticing – there's been a lot of small buys. It was a large buy of FedEx three weeks ago or four weeks ago. I think you can go back on my shows and find that. And then I find Marvin Ellison, uh, who's very smart money, <laughs> uh, bought uh, 2,200 shares of uh, FedEx. So uh, we had two buyers a couple weeks ago. Uh, well, no, we had a buyer a month and a half ago. We had a buyer uh, three three weeks ago, and now we have another buyer their purchases were obviously a lot larger uh, than uh, Marvin's, but uh, you know, you got to pay particular attention to some of this stuff because, you know, things happen very, uh, very quickly. And look, we we had another uh, kind of uncertain week and, and uh, we're, we're trying to get through this 2,700, 27,800 level on the Dow. And we're, and we're having a little bit of a problem with that, but generally what happened was the QQQs are the ones that got whacked. All right, so uh, you know the, the the problem here, and I think Bob Dickey put it pers- you know uh, perfectly. And Bob Dickey's our head technical strategist, if, and he's on my webpage. So if you go to WHK fourteen twenty AM, go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show Tim Hayes, he's under bulletin board under technical uh, you know the technical thing of the day. Anyway, the Fang Index, uh, you know, uh, is is one that has been, I mean, it's it's eight stocks, <laughs> and uh, that it, it appears to be making, you know, some kind of secondary top here. We'll see, but there's there's some support about twenty percent lower. <clears throat> we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, there's some support at forty two fifty on that Fang index, or or about thirty eight hundred too. So I'm you know uh, if you follow that, I I. I I mean, there's so much money going into these things. And I, I, I read something uh, on Thursday that at Robinhood, which is, uh, you know, small investors, uh, every two minutes, those stocks are bought. Five, six, seven shares, sometimes 10, 20, sometimes 30, 40. Uh, and, and I don't think anybody's looking at fundamentals. I just think they're buying them. So, you know, it, it's something that you you got to think about and, and – um, you know, uh, look. In my humble opinion, you know, if you if you look at the S and P 500, uh, you know, it's having a hard time getting through 
um, the, uh, you know, there's a gap here. And if it fills the gap, it'd probably be positive. But there was numerous gaps back in March and, and the end of February. And I think that, uh, you know, we could have, uh, well, let's put it this way. We, you know, we were worried back in the, the last week of February, and the, uh, I mean, the last week of January and the first week of February. I should have been more worried, I guess. But uh, the, the key is uh, to get through to a new high uh, might take a while, I, I think. Uh, you know, look, the market action, the second quarter earnings reporting season is, has seen some mixed performances from a few large cap growth stocks. Uh, you know, Intel was down big Friday. Uh, I own Intel uh, from a long time ago, but uh, some of the indexes while the broader market has been much more mixed okay so uh, you know the the chart patterns of the of the larger stocks however are indicating some short-term peaks and it could have a bigger impact on the indexes if they pull back remember that so if you see the indexes going down it may be uh you know it's just these large names that have been going up and up and up and up and up but they're Look, there continues to be a large performance gap between the Dow Industrials and the tech-heavy tech uh, uh, NASDAQ, you know, which is up like 20% this year, um, whereas the S&P 500 and the Dow are still down 4 or 5%. So, you know, it, it, it look, uh, eventually, um, I think that's going to be – there's going to be a change in the wind. And I don't know when it comes. I'm not that good uh, – but, uh, you know, look, there is one thing I do see, and that is the trend in gold, you know, which may be a little bit stretched right now in the short, for the short term anyway. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about months. I'm talking about weeks now. Uh, but there's good support level below, and it suggests that any pullbacks would, you know, probably be minimal. And I think Bob, Bob Dickey said it perfect. And, uh, look, this is the guy that back in 2018 in, in July, you know, he came out and said, buy gold you know it was right at the bottom of the trend line and by the way the dollar was breaking down at that point so you know uh look i, I just think it's something that you have to you know start to think about you know your your gold uh gold is so under owned institutionally retail it's non-existent i mean look I, I've had about 10 new clients come on board in the last year, and not one of them owned gold. Uh, a lot of my clients own gold, and I've owned it for, you know, basically since June of last year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, owned, I owned five or six different gold stocks. Now, one of them, Kirkland, did a, uh, a fast deal. I mean, they bought somebody. But even that stock's turned around and come back north, and now we're up on it. So there's not one gold situation except for one. There's one still small cap guy, but the the small cap names will come because that's where the the retail client will come from, okay? Because you know they they won't buy the Newmonts, they won't buy the Barrick Golds. But so pay attention. Uh, gold's probably going to consolidate a little bit before it goes breaks new high. But if the dollar drops, I'm telling you, uh, gold is a place to be. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, there are some things that I would start to think about. Number one is uh, why are insiders selling five to one, which is a very high ratio. I think it's one of the highest ones I've seen in a while. Um, you know, are they concerned? I, you know, by the way, one of the areas I see where they're really concerned is some of those bank stocks. Uh, believe me, I looked at the, you know, the buying there and the selling there, and uh, there's, um, you know, I would suggest uh, 
quite a few people that are wor- worried in the uh, in the in the fang industries uh, right at the moment. So I, um, the, the insider selling five to one is something to be concerned with. I just look. I don't think it's the end of the world, or we're going to get blow up or anything like that. I just think we're going to have a hard time. Uh, we're we're going to start to see a sideways movement for a while into the election. Now, uh, if if Trump wins, and uh, I, you know, I think there's a, a lack of. Uh, uh, New regulations, shall we call it? I think the market will be fine. I, I don't know what to suspect with Mr. Biden. Um, you know, he's talking about taxing everybody. Uh, taxes, you know, high taxes have never been uh, a great thing uh, for the markets, especially uh, if you know he's he said he's going after he's going after the big guys. So pay attention there. In the meantime, go to WHK fourteen twenty. Go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes. Take a look at my insight. Uh, uh, you know, scenario. Insight's got some good stuff. There's a lot of, for you ladies out there. There's some good stuff out there. There's also a good thing on auto, the auto industry. I think there's one sector you want to look at. On my regular webpage, uh, you know, when you get there, go to Button Board, start watching Bob Dickin or, or some of our newsletters. I think you'll find it great. Uh, we have our prime income list, our dividend growth list, the Savvy Investors Credit Handbook, and few business owners a good plan to, to hit the road with. In the meantime, have a great weekend. It's supposed to be beautiful. This is the Smart Investor Show. I am Tim Hayes. Remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.